Today we're going we're gonna to do something um, in our series, the Equip series. We're actually going to end it. We're going to call it a day on, on Equip. This is the final message. And uh, we've been doing this for 15 weeks, walking through what we've called spiritual disciplines. And when we planned this series, the whole intent behind it was to help us as a church family real, really come to grips with, for some of us, discover for the first time, for some of us, rediscover ancient spiritual disciplines, things that followers of Jesus and the people of God have been practicing for thousands of years. But more so than habits um, that, that we're trying to form, these spiritual disciplines, really, they're, they're rhythms of life that can help people like us access a power far beyond our own. And here's why. The reason why they help us access a power source far beyond our own is because they're habits that actually put us in close proximity with the power and the presence of God. They help us connect with God on the deepest level. There's a theologian by the name of Dallas Willard. Here's how he, uh, he described the, the spiritual disciplines. I think this is such a helpful definition, so I just want to share it with you. He says, the disciplines are activities of mind and body purposefully undertaken to bring our personality and total being into effective cooperation with the divine order. They enable us more and more to live in a power that is, strictly speaking, beyond us. And so those disciplines like meditation and confession and prayer and application, they were all intended, they're really all just intended as means to the great end of experiencing the power and presence of God in our lives. And so there's another spiritual discipline that that we're going to talk about today. Um, I actually think, um, as I studied this, I've come to grips. I think this is the most ancient of all the spiritual disciplines. I think you could actually trace its origin back to the very beginning of time. And what I think is really, really cool about the spiritual discipline we're going to talk about today is God is the first one who actually practiced it. In the opening verses of Genesis 2... What we, what we see is God resting. God had performed this creative work, and then we encounter God resting. And then he does something really, really that I just think is unique. He declares that act of rest as holy. And so um, this is the only spiritual discipline that's included in the Ten Commandments. It's, it's a discipline that for thousands of years people have put into practice, thousands of years even before Jesus arrived on the scene. And then when Jesus arrived, it's something that he himself observed. But more importantly than just observing it, he actually observed it in a way that unlocked its full power and potential in our lives. And the spiritual discipline that I'm talking about is Sabbath rest. And and I'm assuming that unless you're Jewish or you come from a Jewish background, you probably don't spend a whole lot of time thinking about the spiritual discipline of Sabbath rest. Or, or maybe there's a chance that you, you consider gathering like this with your church family as a form of Sabbath. Uh, or maybe you're new to Christianity altogether and you have never even heard the term Sabbath rest. Or maybe you're just here, you know, putting feelers out for what church might be like. And, and, and again, Sabbath rest is just a foreign concept to you. So regardless of where you're at in that spectrum, uh, my aim today is simply to do this. I want to show you why we need Sabbath rest. I want to show you what Sabbath rest is. I want to show you why I believe that Sabbath rest is the best answer to our restlessness. And then lastly, I just want to show you how to experience it. And so first, uh, I'm asking the question, why do we need Sabbath rest? And there's a real short answer to that. Life can be exhausting. I think you already know this. I'm not, I'm not like this next little section is not anything that you don't already know. So just bear with me. If you're not currently exhausted, just wait. The exhaustion's coming. Um, It's actually one of those things that makes us human. We can get restless on all levels, physically, spiritually, emotionally, psychologically, you name it. Any kind of tired we can get, we get. Um, Relationships, raising children, politics, our emotions, our finances, all of that. Our work can be exhausting to the degree that it just sucks the life right out of us. And um, I do think it's important to note that when I say work, I'm not just talking. I'm speaking way more broadly than just a career or a job. I'm talking about anything that you do, any habit or any, anything that you undertake that demands your physical activity, your physical strength, your intellect, your emotional or, or psychological energy, anything that you're doing, you're working 
anything you're doing to work to prove yourself or to, to make yourself feel like you measure up or you matter. That's what I'm calling work. This could be a career. It could also be the things that we're doing for approval or the ways that we're trying to impress whoever it is that we're trying to impress. Um, it, it, could be, it could be anything, really. And I think really that's derived from this innate need that we have for significance. And I think that need for significance is capable of creating in us a, rest, a restlessness that ends up having far more to do with how we approach lot, our lives than it does the actual things that we face in our lives. I think that's why as a culture, we find ourselves in this moment where we are more in need of rest than we've ever been and we're having a hard time resting than we ever have. And, and frankly, some of us do have careers that are so demanding, the thought of slowing down really is you, you just come into terms with it, with it might cause you to fall behind, and that's daunting. I think some of us are parenting young children who have us running around the clock. They have a terrible ability to tell time. They have no regard for privacy. And I'm telling you, um, if you have little kids in your house, it's almost like every meal is an episode of Chopped, only they are way less diplomatic in the way that they chop you. I mean, they want to talk about how you plated it and how it looks and how it smells, and yesterday they loved it and today they hate it. And it almost seems like every meal is us just being met with this, the, the reality that there's this degree of insignificance in us that we can't seem to shake because we can't even get a home-cooked meal right. There's, there's people... Right now, and you're caring with, with maybe your parents who are at a different stage of life or, or, or family members that you care about. And what you're really coming to grips with is the people that you used to look to, that you depended on, that were so strong and so mighty in your life, are becoming more and more dependent on you. And some of us, I think we've just been moving so fast for so long, we really don't even know how to slow down long enough to rest. And we keep telling ourselves this line, maybe you've fed this to yourself. I know I've fed this to myself. We keep telling ourselves, like, all we got to do is get through this season and things are going to slow down. And the reality is, like, the season might end, but the slowing down never comes. And here, here's the point that I'm trying to make here, and I think you've discovered this. As our lives progress, we don't undertake less responsibility or less weight the regret dials up, the responsibility increases, and our lives end up demanding far more from us than we ever realized. And what that really all amounts to is it just gives us this deepening sense that the work really never ends, that nothing we do ever really feels like it's enough, that we can't finish the work, and shoot, we don't even have what it takes to finish it. There, there's a Catholic theologian by the name of Carl Rayner, and I think he does a brilliant job just highlighting what this tension is that we're managing. Here's what he said. He says, in the torment of the insufficiency of everything attainable, that's the things that you work for, that's the things that you're trying to accumulate, that's whatever it is you're doing to try to find a sense of, of self-worth. Here's what he says about all that. We learn that ultimately in this world, there is no finished symphony. All he's suggesting is that part of the human condition comes with this underlying tension of insufficiency. And I, I don't think he's wrong. I think if he were wrong, things like anxiety and depression, instead of being on the upward trend, would be on a downward trajectory. I think happiness would be on the rise. I think we'd be more settled and more secure. I think there'd be less backbiting and arguing and conflict. But I think underlyingly, the, the thing that he's highlighting, this, this inner murmur of insufficiency, I think it's a reality that we all face. And what it translates to is that no matter how many hours we work or how many goals we crush or how many milestones we hit or how many fine wines we, we experience or taste or how many vacations we take, it never really amounts to enough. It never does anything to silence the inner murmur of insufficiency in our souls. And that's what really drives us to do more, to have more, to want more, to know more, to experience more. And it never amounts to enough. To enough. And here, here's, here's why. I, I said uh, we're answering the question, why do we need Sabbath rest? Here's why I think we need Sabbath rest. I think there's a restlessness in us that's much deeper than any amount of physical rest can achieve. The, the, the working definition of rest, maybe you've never heard it put like this, but here's what it is. Here's what I'm offering you today. The definition of rest is to be wholly satisfied in what's been accomplished. 
When's the last time you were wholly satisfied in anything you've done? And I'm, I'm not arguing with whether or not you've experienced degrees of satisfaction. I'm sure you've experienced some degree of satisfaction in your life. What I'm getting at is far deeper. It's far more lasting. It's far wider. It's far more powerful. When's the last time you were wholly satisfied by your work? And what that would mean is this. There's nothing left to accomplish. We need Sabbath rest because we just can't seem to finish the symphony that continues to play to no end in our lives. We need Sabbath rest because we can't silence the inner murmur of insufficiency in our souls. So that's why we need it. And maybe you can relate to that. Maybe you don't. But that's, that's why I think we need it. And uh, what I want to do now is help you see what Sabbath rest is. And, and the idea that I have to offer you is Sabbath rest is worship. And what I want to do now is we're going to take a look at a transcript from a conversation that Jesus had with some religious leaders in the first century. And it's all about the Sabbath. And uh, it's found in Mark chapter 2. We're going to start in verse 23. Here's what it says. It says, On the Sabbath he was going through the grain fields. That's Jesus. And his disciples began to make their way, picking some heads of grain. The Pharisees said to him, Look, why are they doing what is not lawful on the Sabbath? And he said to them, Have you never read what David and those who were with him did when he was in need and hungry? How he entered the house of God in the time of Abiathar the high priest and ate the sacred bread? which is not lawful for anyone to eat except the priests. And he also gave some to his companions. Then he told them, and this is Jesus speaking, the Sabbath was made for man and not man for the Sabbath. Therefore, the Son of Man is Lord even of the Sabbath. So what's, what's unfolding here is Jesus is hiking with some of his disciples. It's on the Sabbath, and this was a 24-hour period of time that, that Jewish people had set aside to honor the, the command of God, um, to step away from their work and to rest. And Jesus and his friends get hungry, and so they, they, uh, they pick some heads of grain and decide to have a snack. And for some reason, this really bothers the Pharisees. And the reason why they were outraged is because what Jesus was doing was technically illegal. Harvesting grain on the Sabbath had been outlawed along with 38 other things, from what you could wear to who you could be with to the distance that you could travel. Um, These were all restrictions that had been established. And, And frankly, I don't even think that any of those restrictions were intrinsically bad. I think if we reviewed the 39 rules geared around the Sabbath and how to, how to honor it and how to not violate it, I think we'd probably conclude, man, that, some of those just sound like common sense boundaries for living. See, the, but the, the primary problem Jesus had with the restrictions wasn't the restrictions themselves. It was the fact that none of those restrictions really brought forth the essence of, of what the Sabbath was intended to be. And so Jesus took issue with, with the Pharisees' response. And he took the time to clarify, and he says, the Sabbath was made for man and not man for the Sabbath. And now, mind you, the Sabbath at this point in time, it wasn't a new idea. I mean, by, by the time this conversation's taken place, uh, people had been observing the Sabbath for millennia. Every week they'd gather, they'd eat, they'd sing, they'd pray, they'd celebrate, they'd worship, they'd laugh, they'd tell stories, they re- they'd remember God's faithfulness. They'd cease from all of their work to try to reorient their lives on God. And so um, the reality of that, the idea of Sabbath is it wasn't birthed from their physical exhaustion or their emotional burnout or some health crisis. What Jesus is pointing out is that the Sabbath is something that's designed specifically by God himself for people like us. It's a gift. And a gift isn't something that you have to work for. Sabbath rest is a gift created by God and given to us. It's a practice that's literally as old as the earth itself. It's a spiritual discipline that can be traced all the way back to the beginning of time. And I think that's where Jesus is directing our attention here when he says that that the Sabbath was made for man and not man for the Sabbath. And so if you rewind all the way back to Genesis 1-1, what you're going to find there is that in the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. And then you fast forward to chapter 2, And uh, through there, what you discover is that over the course of six days, God performs this amazing creative work. And then Genesis 2-2 is where we read, By the seventh day, God completed his work that he had done, and he rested on the seventh day from all his work that he had done. 
God blessed the seventh day and declared it holy, for on it he rested from his work of creation. So here God is resting, and when he did, he set this rhythm in motion that's designed to give us freedom and to help us flourish. It's designed to refresh and restore us. It's designed to help us discover who, who we really are, discover our true selves. It's designed to help us experience life as it ought to be. Uh, Sabbath rest is, is, really is a, a rhythm of life that's designed to help us experience the deep, life-shaping intimacy that we need with God. And so to help you get, um, I, I guess, get a better idea of what I mean when I say Sabbath rest is worship, I just want to help you understand what it means when God rested. He wasn't tired. I mean, we're told time and time again that God doesn't sleep, nor does he slumber. He doesn't get tired. God didn't need a nap. He didn't need a break after six days of creative work. He wasn't emotionally burned out. He wasn't exhausted on any level. God rested, and here's why. He was wholly satisfied with his work. Everything was as it should be. His work was finished. Paradise was complete. And so this word that we see for rest in Genesis 2-2, here's what it means. It means to stop and delight. So through six days of creation, we hear God routinely like stepping back from his work and saying that it was good. But when it was complete, he decides to set aside a specific segment of time that he deems holy, also that he can stop and delight in this perfect work that he's performed. And so Sabbath rest is an invitation from God himself to stop and delight in his creation, his provision in your life, his faithfulness, his goodness, and ultimately in God himself. Delighting in God means being wholly satisfied in God. And worship happens anytime you're wholly satisfied in God. And here's why. I think worship is a whole life orientation toward God, and Sabbath rest is a mechanism that allows you to orient your life wholly and completely and more deeply towards God. Sabbath rest is an invitation to stop and delight in God. And here's how you can do that, knowing this powerful thing that God actually delights in you. It's an invitation to follow him, to follow God's lead for your life, and know that when you do, you'll actually experience the freedom and the flourishing that you desire. Sabbath rest is worship because it's a rhythm of life that reorients our lives toward God in a way that allows us to be wholly satisfied in God. So that's what, that's what Sabbath rest is. It's worship. Now I want to show you why I believe that Sabbath rest is the best answer to our restlessness. I got two reasons I want to share with you. The first is this. Sabbath rest is restorative. Now turn with me to Luke chapter 6. Uh, we're going to pick up in verse 6. Here's what it says. On another Sabbath, he, that's Jesus, entered the synagogue and was teaching. A man was there whose right hand was paralyzed. Then you go down to verse 10, and, and here's what Jesus says to the man with the paralyzed hand. He says, stretch out your hand. And so he did so. And his hand was restored. Now they, meaning the Pharisees, because um, they bore witness to this, they were, it says they were filled with rage and started discussing with one another what they might do to Jesus. So, so Jesus in this scenario kind of shows up in this man's life, um, kind of like a proverbial EMT, and he performs this amazing medical miracle, and, and again, that the Pharisees are filled with absolute rage. And what I, I'm not saying that I'm any better than a Pharisee. Uh, hopefully I am, but I'm not saying that I am. But I really do think this is a, an odd response to a miracle. I think this is an odd response to somebody's healing. I think, I think that uh, there, there's something at work there that drove this response. I think the Pharisees were so wrapped up in the rules and the restrictions that they, they missed the restorative work of God, even when it was staring them in the face. I think the, the Pharisees, you see, they had rules that helped people not violate the Sabbath, but what Jesus is doing is he's observing Sabbath in a way that's actually bringing its restorative power to life. And there's a stark contrast there. Now, if we rewind back to the Genesis account, um, just to, to like flesh this out a little bit, help you see it through the lens that I'm seeing it. If you zoom back to, to the Genesis account, God blesses three things. Like the, the first two things are humanity 
and creation. And in both times he does that, it comes with an invocation to be fruitful and multiply. And then the third thing he blesses is the Sabbath. He blesses that period of rest that he took and he deems it holy. And so what I take that to mean is that when we cease from our work and when we delight in and worship God, we can actually start to experience the restorative power of God in our lives. I, you, you know this. This isn't news to you. Life can be tiring on every level. And even for those of us who love our jobs or really, really enjoy serving or we love the, the role that we're playing as the parents of our children, we often find ourselves, we actually routinely find ourselves bogged down, worn out, exhausted. And what we need in those times isn't a long weekend. We need the restorative power of God in our lives. We need the power of God to refresh our souls in a way that a day off, a vacation, a fine wine, an excursion, an experience just is powerless to do. And what this story of Jesus healing this man's withered hand on the Sabbath really shows us is that the primary purpose of Sabbath rest is restorative. And restoration can come when we silence the external noise in our lives, when we cease from trying to prove ourselves, right, and we allow Jesus to speak to our withered, restless hearts the same way he spoke to this man's hand. The restorative work of Jesus, uh, it's not just physical. It's so much more comprehensive than that. You see, Jesus came to restore withered hands. He came to heal broken hearts. He came to break the chain of addiction. And eventually what Jesus is doing is he is going to restore all things. And so I think Sabbath rest really points to this truth that because of Jesus, your life can never be permanently derailed. The only thing that can permanently happen to your life is complete restoration. It points to this truth that God is working all things together for good. Sabbath rest is restorative. And what this means is that one day all things will be new. And in the meanwhile, Sabbath rest is the best answer to our restlessness because it allows us to tap into the restorative power of God in a way that strengthens us to endure all things. Sabbath rest is restorative. But another reason that Sabbath rest is the best answer to our restlessness is because it's liberating. Turn with me to Luke 6, verse 2. And here's what we find there. It says, but some of the Pharisees said, here they go again, why are you doing what is not lawful on the Sabbath? I really think this is the kind of question that comes from maybe someone who was raised in a legalistic, guilt-heavy household or a guilt-heavy culture. I think that's something that they would ask. I could be off there, but that's, that's just what I think. I don't think it's coming from a place of restlessness is really what I'm getting at. I think it's coming from a place of restless angst and insecurity. Um, the reason I believe that is there's evidence for that. You look it down in verse 7, and here's how deep the restlessness goes. It says, the scribes and Pharisees were watching him closely. They're watching Jesus closely to see if he would heal on the Sabbath. And here's why. Not so they could celebrate the healing or revel in how powerful the God they say they serve is, it's so that they could find charge against Jesus. And in the aftermath of this medical miracle, they get so angry that they're plotting, they're actually plotting to end Jesus' life. And I think, these, I think that's an extreme response. Um, and I think that extreme response highlights the restlessness of the Pharisees. I think it just highlights their affinity to legalism. I think it highlights their insecurity. I think it shows us that those two things are the primary driving forces in their lives. And because here's what's at work. They don't just want to see Jesus fail. They're actually going to use Jesus' failure to validate themselves. And the fact that they have to work to validate themselves shows, here's what I think it shows us. I think it shows us that they're enslaved. Look, and we can be enslaved to anything. I think some of us, Perhaps right now, I think some of us are enslaved to making people happy, or we're enslaved to our track record as a parent. We're enslaved to the, the wants and needs of the people around us. We're enslaved to materialism or careerism or whatever ism you're enslaved to, workaholism, perfectionism, just to name a few. Um, but here's, here's what I'm getting at. Anything that we look to that demands we perform a certain way or produce a certain thing to have a sense of self-worth has the power to enslave us. And there's no rest when you're enslaved because no matter how much you do, 
it's never enough. Remember, rest is being wholly satisfied in what has been done. And when we look to anything other than God for that type of whole satisfaction, the work is never done. And God designed Sabbath rest to liberate us from the things that enslave us and give us the power to resist being enslaved to things that only ever leave us restless. I think Deuteronomy 5, um, we're going to pick up in verse 12, it gives us a really clear picture of this. Here's what it says. It says, observe the Sabbath day by keeping it holy as the Lord your God has commanded you. Six days you shall labor and do all your work, but the seventh day is a Sabbath to the Lord your God. On it you shall not do any work, neither you nor your son or daughter, nor your male or female servant, nor your ox, your donkey, or any of your animals. I don't have an ox or a donkey, but I do have some rabbits and a couple dogs. I'm giving a day off today. Um, It says, nor any foreigner residing in your towns so that your male and female servants may rest as you do. Remember that you were slaves in Egypt and that the Lord your God brought you out of there with a mighty hand and an outstretched arm. Man, I love that analogy. Um, Therefore, the Lord your God has commanded you to observe the Sabbath day. Now, when, when you look at the Sabbath command in the Old Testament, in Exodus 20, It's rooted in the creation story. But in Deuteronomy 5, it's rooted in God moving personally and powerfully to liberate his people from slavery. And I think this is a huge change. I think this change in language is extremely significant. You see, for generations, God's people were slaves to an empire that was really just built on the backs of the oppressed. Their lives were ruled by coercion, exploitation, exclusivism, injustice, greed, name it. Um, They were dehumanized and abused, bought and sold just like a commodity. Uh, They were slaves to the wants, needs, desires of of anyone who was in power. There was no rest. There's no refreshing, no Sabbath. And all of that came to a halt when God moved personally and powerfully. And that's what it means. That's what it means when God moves with a mighty hand and an outstretched arm. It just means that he shows up personally and he shows up powerfully to do what only he can do. And this change in language from Exodus 20 to Deuteronomy 5, really what I think it shows us is that God's delight in his finished work is the foundation of his justice, right? God's delight has has been translated to acts of justice, him showing up powerfully and personally in our lives. It shows us that God's willing to use his power and and he's willing to risk his reputation to release us from any form of tyranny or oppression or enslavement. But there's, there's another powerful change in language here that I think that's worth noting. It's in Deuteronomy 5, 14. It's this little phrase that says, so they may rest as you do. And I think it shows us this a little more clearly. I think it just highlights it on another level. See, there, there's an Old Testament scholar by the name of Walter Brugman. He, here's how he described it. He says, this added phrase, that they may rest like you, means Sabbath is the great day of equality when all are equally at rest. Look, the rest that God prescribes should never come at the expense of the weak or the marginalized. It's really only ever intended to to come from God moving powerfully and personally in your life. It's only intended to come or stem from his personal and powerful presence in our lives. And so what, what I think this really means is that Sabbath rest is designed to break the pattern of inequality and injustice in this world. This pattern that assigns value to people based on their gender or their race or their religion or their ability to perform and produce or their sexual orientation. I think it's Sabbath rest is designed to destroy the gradations of performance, worth, and significance. I think it's designed to break the tyranny of workaholism or materialism or exclusivism or racism or consumerism. I think it's designed to silence the constant inner murmur of insufficiency that tells us the work is never finished, but more more powerful than that, that we're not even capable of finishing it. I think it's designed to give us a power to resist surrendering our lives to anything and everything that will only lead us to a place of exhaustion. But ultimately, ultimately, here's what Sabbath rest is designed to liberate us from, the tyranny of sin and death. You see, in Genesis 2, we see this picture of God resting in light of his complete, perfect, finished work. 
And then in Deuteronomy 5, we see God showing up powerfully and personally to liberate his people. But then you fast forward to the gospel accounts and what we see is God showing up yet again powerfully and personally, not just to liberate us from the tyranny of the Pharaoh of Egypt, but to liberate us fully and completely from the tyranny of sin and death. Sabbath rest is the best answer to our restlessness because it's liberating. And it's liberating because it orients our lives around the ultimate emancipator, the one who conquered our greatest oppressors, sin and death. It orients our lives around the person and work of Jesus. Sabbath rest is the best answer to our restlessness because it can help us access the restorative and the liberating power of God. Now, the last thing I want to show you is how we can experience this restorative, liberating power of Sabbath rest. And, and I, I realize, like, I realize this. At least this is what I think. I think that um, Sabbath rest can come off as, like, this foreign-sounding thing. And then, you know, you talk about stopping and delighting, and that can sound impossible because we're so busy and seems like we always have something or someone breathing down our necks, demanding our time and our affinity and our commitment. Um, so what I want to do is I want to offer you three practical things. These are things that have been helpful in my life. Uh, maybe they'll be helpful to you. If not, you can just say, hey, thanks for sharing. Um, good talk and move on. But there are three things I just want to offer you. Um, and, and the first one is this, stop. And what I mean by that is like the word Sabbath literally means to cease to stop and delight. So stop, get alone, get silent. Stop long enough to experience Jesus. Sit in the quiet long enough to hear your soul speak. And if you're type A like I am, it's not gonna take a whole lot of time before your soul starts getting at you with all this anxiety and all this stuff you have to do and all this pressure that you start to feel. And when that happens, when your soul starts to speak Speak back at it. Tell it that because of Jesus, you're a finished work that God fully delights in, that the work is finished. And so, so for me, uh, stopping and delighting in Jesus, here's what it means. It means programming time in my life to actually hear Jesus speak. And what I love so much about the gospel accounts is they include um, direct quotes of things that Jesus actually said. And they also include all these accounts of things that Jesus actually did. So if you want to hear Jesus speak, read the gospel accounts. They're literally biographies about his life that include things he said and things that he did. And I'm not talking about like squeezing in a morning Devo. I'm talking about sitting in it. Sit with Jesus long enough to hear him speak. Listen to the things he said. Look at the rhythm of his life. Look at the people that he spent time with. Try to discover who Jesus is when you read the gospel of accounts. For me, it's stopping long enough to enjoy a prepared meal with family and friends. It's, it's long walks in the early morning or late at night or whenever I have time to do that, which isn't every day. For me, it, 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 it's creating time and space. And like, just so we're clear, I'm not saying I'm doing this all the time. This isn't an everyday thing. It's not even a weekly thing sometimes, but it does need to be a routine thing. So program time to stop and delight in Jesus, whatever time you have, because he's faithful. He's actually promised you to show up to every date that you set with him. And here's, here, here's the big thing. I think just think about this. It's really hard to abide in Jesus if you're not spending time with Jesus. Stop. Delight in Jesus. But secondly, unplug. And this, this, is, this can be real challenge. Turn off your phone. This can be so challenging. Turn off your phone. Offload the social media apps. Consider deleting them for a season. Like, turn off the to-do list and the reminders. Turn off Netflix. Silence, the, silence your email. Like, stop listening to the podcast. I got nothing against podcasts. Listen to podcasts. But there's a time to unplug and stop and just be silent before God. Shoot, change the Wi-Fi password. Power down the whole house if you have to, whatever it takes. Here's what I think you're going to discover. Here, I, I believe this with my heart of hearts. Here's what I think you'll discover if you do this. You're going to discover that you have a whole lot more time than you realize. Here's why I'm saying that. Did you know, and most of us in here are Americans, so I'm speaking to the right crowd. The average American spends more than 700 hours a year scrolling and more than 2,700 hours a year sitting and watching. 
And so what that really amounts to is close to 30 days scrolling and more than 110 days sitting and watching, right? With, with just, and I'm not trying to sell you on anything, but it sounds like a sales pitch. With just a fraction of that time, you could take more walks, eat better meals. Like you, there's so much you could do. Like think about that. 30 days, one month of the year is what the, that, that, that equates to where you're just scrolling. Come on, somebody. Like revolutionize your, your life. Unplug. So with just a fraction of that time, like you could learn a new skill. You could do a new thing. You could spend more time with the people that you want to spend time with, the people that you love, the people that actually want to spend time with you. Uh, Jesus um, said this remarkable thing, and, and here's what it is. He says, man must not live on bread alone, but on every word that comes from the mouth of God. And look, I'm not making an, I'm not waging an argument against social media or Netflix. Like, don't hear me saying that. All I'm offering you is what Jesus said. And here's what I think he meant. What you consume matters. It shapes your life. It shapes the way that you view people. It shapes the way that you view yourself. It shapes the way that you view God. And when you unplug from all that external noise and all that input that you really wouldn't choose if you were choosing, I mean, think about all the things that you just incidentally scroll upon when you're scrolling. It's not stuff that you would curate for yourself. It's something that somebody else is curating for you. And Jesus says what we consume matters. So we, when we unplug from all of that and all those external demands in our lives and we stop playing slave to our calendar and we start, stop prioritizing all these things that we really don't want to prioritize in our lives, here's what I think it does. I think it creates space for us to hear, as Jesus put it, every word that comes from the mouth of God. And I think you're going to like what you hear. Because God has your best intentions in heart in a way that no one else has. It's unmatched. It really is. So if you stop and you hear what God has to say about you and you marinate and, and just reflect on and meditate on what he did to, 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 to prove that to you when he sent his son Jesus, I think that'll be more life-giving than any of the things you're scrolling on or watching on Netflix will ever be. Um, I got one more for you, and, and this, this I think is probably my favorite, and it's this. It's gather. So when you stop and unplug, do it with friends and family. Do it with your church family. Do it with people who refresh your soul. And I think you know who those people are. And if you don't, here's what I want to ask you to do. Like, I just want to encourage you. Start trying to find people that refresh your soul. And when you find them, gather with them. Pray, eat, laugh, reflect, remember, enjoy. Enjoy good food. Tell good stories. Connect with each other. Look, Sabbath was literally designed as a community affair, and I think in so many ways it's best experienced in community. And what, what I'm, look, I'm really looking forward to this, and I hope you are too. This time next week, we'll be gathering together as a church family outdoors. We're going to worship together. We're going to listen to a message together. And then we're going to sit and break bread together. We're going to Sabbath together next weekend. I can't wait. We're going to gather together in a way that I think just puts the heart of God on display, unlike anything else. In some ways, Sabbath is best experienced with other people. And frankly, I'm really not sure that there's anything more sacred than spending time with people. And I don't feel like I'm making that up. I think that's, that's in line with this new commandment that Jesus gave to his followers when he said, love one another as I've loved you. So if you want to experience Sabbath rest, gather together, Sabbath together, delight in God together. And um, you might think all oh, that sounds silly or it's a waste of time or it's impossible. So if you do nothing else, if you walk away with nothing else as far as practical application is concerned, I do want you to ask yourself, I got one question I think it's worth asking yourself, and it's this. What can I do to fill my soul with a deep sense of wonder, awe, gratitude, and worship towards God? Maybe the answer to that question is, is going to help you find Sabbath rest. So I'm going to ask, I'm going to I'm just put it before you again. What can I do that will fill my soul with a deep sense of wonder, awe, gratitude, and worship toward God? Now, now all of these, as I mentioned, they're just suggestions. And really all they're intended to do is help you create space in your life to experience 
Sabbath rest. And what, what's, what's really important to keep in mind is uh, Sabbath rest isn't a certain day of the week. It's not a specific time interval. Um, it's not a certain set of rituals. It really, it, it's a rhythm of life that you can only experience when you're wholly satisfied. And really, there's only one way to be wholly satisfied. And that's what I, I'm going to wrap up by showing you. Like, this is the only way. I believe it's the only way you can be wholly satisfied. I'm not the only one. Thousands of millions of people have believed this over the years. Um, and I just want to offer it to you. Back in 2003, the New York Times ran this, this article, and it was titled Bring Back the Sabbath. And what I think is really interesting about the article is it's written by a Jewish woman who had abandoned uh, you know, her Jewish background and tradition. She had, ab- she had abandoned, and one of those things that she had abandoned was the practice of Sabbath. And um, what she discovered as time went by is that she felt like something was missing from her life. And uh, here's what she says. She, she, she discovered, this is what she said in light of her discovering that something was missing in her life. And she thinks it was a lack of Sabbath rest. And she says, most people mistakenly believe that all you have to do to stop working is not work. You can't downshift casually and easily the way you might slip into bed at the end of a long day. This is why the Puritan and Jewish Sabbaths were so exactingly intentional, requiring intensive or extensive advanced preparation. The rules didn't exist to torture the faithful. They were meant to communicate the insight that interrupting the ceaseless round of striving, I think we can all relate to that, requires a surprisingly strenuous act of will, one that has to be bolstered by habit as well as by social sanction. So it's something you do individually, and it's also something that the people around you can encourage you to do. But she goes on and she says this, religious rituals do not exist to simply promote togetherness. They're designed to convey to us a certain story about who we are. The machinery of self-censorship must shut down too. Now this, is, this to me is the most powerful thing she says. We must still the, the eternal inner murmur of self-reproach. This woman, Judith Shulevich, I think she's so brilliantly points out what we all sense deep in our souls, that there's this rest underneath the physical rest that we need. She calls it an eternal inner murmur of self-reproach. The Catholic theologian Karl Rayner, what he called it was an unfinished symphony that highlights our insufficiency. In the fourth century, a philosopher by the name of Augustine called it an insatiable desire to be filled and fulfilled. And here's what he wrote on that matter. He said, you've made us for yourself, O Lord, and our hearts are restless until they rest in you. And so what what I'm pointing out is that from secular authors like Judith Shulevitz, to people of all religious backgrounds, to people who reject religiosity entirely, I think they're all coming to the same conclusion, that there's a deep level of restlessness in us, and nothing we hope to achieve or accumulate can silence that inner murmur of insufficiency that's enslaving us to the point of exhaustion. They're all saying that there's a work that needs to be done that we simply can't accomplish. And that's the work that Jesus came to finish. And so so what I'm offering you is this, that the only way to silence the inner murmur and and experience the liberating, restorative power of Sabbath rest is through the finished work of Jesus. Sabbath rest really just boils down to this. It's 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 a pointed refusal to stop building our lives on our work and a determined effort to rest in the finished work of Jesus. The only way Sabbath rest becomes worship, the only way you can experience its restorative and liberating power in your life is through Jesus, the Lord of the Sabbath. In Mark 2, and we're going to wind down here, so I'm going to invite the worship team back up here on the stage. In Mark 2, verse 28, here's what Jesus says. He says, the Son of Man is Lord even of the Sabbath. To paraphrase, Jesus is the only one who can give you the rest that you need. That's that's simply what Jesus is stating. He is claiming to be the only one that can quiet your soul in a way that will actually give you rest. And what he's doing when he says that he's Lord of the Sabbath, again, he's, he's redirecting our attention to the origin of the Sabbath and how God rested in light of his complete work and he delighted in this complete work. Only there's an additional layer to, to what Jesus is trying to highlight here. He's also directing our attention to this work that he himself is going to finish. And if you're familiar with Mark chapter 2, what Jesus 
prior to him saying this, what he did is he took the time to talk of when David entered the tabernacle and he ate the consecrated bread. And what he was doing is he was pointing out one of the most central ceremonial practices of the Jewish people. You see, the the tabernacle was a place. It's a place where sinful people could go and enter the presence of a holy God. But in order to do that, you had to follow all the ceremonial laws. You had to wash a certain way. You had to follow a certain routine. And when you entered, you had to bring a specific kind of sacrifice. And when and only when you had done all of those things and followed every measure of the ceremonial law, could you enter in and worship God. And the whole purpose of that ceremonial law was not intended to be a burden. It was just simply intended to highlight that you can't, you can't just waltz in to the presence of a holy God. Something has to be done to make that possible. And so Jesus, what he's doing in telling this story about David, is he's saying David knew. David knew that all the ceremonial laws were only ever meant to be temporary or provisional. David knew that the sacrifices were provisional and only ever intended to point toward a complete and perfect sacrifice, the ultimate consecrated bread that when you eat from it, you'll never hunger again. Look, Jesus, what he's doing here is he is claiming to be the one that all the ceremonial laws pointed to when he says, the Son of Man is Lord even of the Sabbath. Jesus is saying that just like God worked for six days and then rested because his work was complete, I'm going to live a life that perfectly completes the law of God. And I'm going to give my life as a ransom For anyone who's ever tried to do so and failed, and when my work is complete, you're going to have the evidence of an empty tomb. You're going to have the the evidence of a stone that was rolled away that, that, that makes right on this declaration that it is finished. And anyone, anyone who comes to Jesus can be released from the weight of having to prove yourself or earn the love and approval that you crave. And you can experience rest for your souls. You'll be wholly satisfied with what's been done. But even more powerful than that. And I think this is something that when you hear it, it's something that when we hear it, it really should just propel us into worship and gratitude as often as we hear it. And here's what it is. You'll be able to begin looking at your life the same way God looked at his work. With delight as if nothing else needs to be accomplished or accumulated because you've been welcomed all the way in to the delight of God himself through Jesus. Look, true rest comes when you wholly delight in what's been done for you. And this is the kind of rest that Hebrews 4 was talking about. And, and, and if, if, you, if, we, if you turn there to Hebrews 4, verse 9, you're gonna see an amazing promise. And here's what it is. It says, a Sabbath rest remains for God's people. For the person who has entered his rest has rested from his own works, can cease striving, can stop trying to prove themselves, can stop trying to live up to everyone else's expectations, has rested from his own works just as God did from his. Look, Sabbath rest happens when you wholly delight in the finished work of Jesus. And when you do, here's what I think happens. You can begin facing life not as a work that you have to complete, but as if the work has already been finished. Because Jesus' work, because Jesus' work wholly satisfied every requirement of God's law, God can be wholly satisfied with you. Because of Jesus, you're a finished work that God can wholly delight in. In the Sabbath rest that, he, that the writer of Hebrews points to, the Sabbath rest that remains for God's people Here's what it is. It's a personal invitation to delight. It's it's a personal invitation from Jesus to delight in God in a way that will unlock God's restorative and liberating power in your life. Let me pray for us. God, um, God, we love the fact that uh, you know everything that we're dealing with. There's not an area of our lives that you're unaware of. And God, you know how restless we get. 
you don't know, you don't even just know that we're restless. You know exactly what's causing that restlessness. And I just ask that you'd help us as a people discover what's exhausting us, discover what's driving us to that place of restlessness so that we can put it before your feet and be freed of it. Um, it's, it's clear to me that you're a God of liberation, that you're a God of restoration. And I know um, that there are people here right now that need to be restored. There are people that need to be liberated, and, and you're the God that can do that. You're the God that can, can move personally and powerfully in a way that restores us and liberates us from the things that are holding us back. And God, I'm asking you to move like that in our lives. And God, we're grateful. We're grateful that um, the writer of Hebrews so clearly pen these words that say there's a Sabbath rest that remains for God's people. That for the person who's entered your rest, we can rest from our own work just as you rested from yours. And God, help us to be those kind of people. People that actually rest in you. The people that actually rest in your finished work. God, um, I believe that when we do, we'll see, we'll see transformation that we didn't realize was possible. And I think we'll become the people that we actually want to become. God, we're thankful for your Sabbath rest. We're thankful for the finished work of Jesus and, and all God's people said amen. Um, now, um, as, as the worship team closes, I just want to offer this to you. Uh, maybe use this last song as a time to just sit with God, to Sabbath with God and to ask him to reveal maybe the things in your life that you need to stop, to highlight the things that maybe you need to unplug from, and to help you become a person that's capable of resting in the finished work of Jesus. Maybe consider using this last song as an opportunity to do that. Uh, let's go ahead and worship God together.